Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. We stream Monday through Friday, 9.30, 10 p.m. sometimes on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Thank you so much. I want to say a big thank you to all of our moderators and all those platforms. I want to say hello to some of our viewers. Of course, we have CC Weezy, who is with us, Khaleesi, one of our moderators. Saz is also moderating on the YouTube side and all the other platforms as well. We have Colette, all the way from England on Facebook, along with Lisa and Lindsay and Ariane. Welcome, guys. On uh, Instagram, we... I'm not going to say that name. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Gets Pastel is us joining us as well. Nice8463 is with us. JS2133 has joined us on Instagram. Welcome. I hope all you guys are enjoying your Friday. Want to welcome Zoe who's with us on Twitter. Uh, saying uh, Zoe was without internet but was able to catch up on Spotify. Zoe, I saw your tweet today. Thank you so much. Uh, Zoe put up this great tweet of her listening to our show on the podcast. Because after our video live stream is over, I do upload the every episode up to a uh, podcast that we also do have. That's called Stay Walking Dead Talk Live. And Zoe posted an, an awesome picture of her listening to our show while driving. So thank you, Zoe. That was pretty awesome. Uh, Khaleesi. Uh, yeah, I did an impromptu Instagram live, Instagram only live stream. 10 minutes. Uh, I've been doing this show now for over a year and I have never done an Instagram live stream the way that it's meant to be done through your mobile device. As you know, I simultaneously stream this to five different networks. And in order to do that and include Instagram, I have to use special third-party software. So I'm like, you know what? I want to say hello to some of our followers. And I want to check out what it's actually like and what does it look like to do a live stream on Instagram the way Instagram wants you to do it. So I saw all this cool stuff that doing over well over 300 episodes now, I had no idea about. <laughs> so it was cool to talk to everybody on Instagram. Thank you. We had a lot of people pop in and out. Uh, it was great uh, getting to talk to you guys one-on-one, -on -one, telling you how much I appreciate you guys supporting us, tuning in for our show and everything else. So thank you for that. Uh, Megan has just joined us on Facebook, so we're going to get started right away today. Um, I saw last night's episode of Clarice, and I cannot stress this enough. It is such an amazing show. For anybody out there who has not yet watched Clarice, it's still in season one. Yesterday was episode eight. There's plenty of time if you have the ability to binge watch and catch up, uh, Michael Cudlitz, who was Abraham on The Walking Dead, is a major co-star, along with Rebecca Breeds, Marnie Carpenter, who was a guest on our show, Rebecca Breeds, who plays Clarice, uh, was nice enough to retweet one of our tweets yesterday. But it is such an amazing show. Uh, they've done such a wonderful job with continuing the storyline of Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. And for only the second episode, they refer to Hannibal Lecter yesterday. And for those of you that don't know, Clarice does not have the rights to use the name Hannibal. So the way, and it's only been done twice so far. One was the series premiere and in yesterday's episode. So the way they worked around that is by referring to Hannibal in a very ambiguous way uh, without mentioning his name. It's a rights issue. Uh, Clarice does not, 
the show Clarice does not have the rights to use the Hannibal name. And it was brought up again yesterday. And there's just a great backstory going on in this season one. I don't know if it's going to be resolved uh, by the end of season one. When we had Marnie on this show, who plays Catherine, who was in the original movie, Silence of the Lambs. She is the one that Buffalo Bill kidnapped and kept in the well until Clarice showed up and rescued her. Uh, so Marnie plays Catherine. And when we had Marnie on the show, uh, I believe she said there's going to be 13 episodes in season one. So yesterday was episode eight. So we have a good like five episodes left and I'm just really excited. I hope there's no more breaks and we get to watch the rest of the episodes, you know, one a week. Uh, it just keeps getting better and better. Uh, Colette writes on Facebook, you make the perfect sexy bald presenter. Now there's a compliment. Thank you, Colette. That is awesome. <laughs> Lindsay Sparks says, love Dead Talk Live is you and your team kick ass. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. I really appreciate all the support that you guys give us. Uh, it means a lot to me and to our entire team. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's do a review on Clarice. And this is just such an amazing show. As you know, I do a review the day afterwards of any Walking Dead universe uh, show. Uh, this is not going to take up the entire episode, but I want to read a review of yesterday's Clarice. Uh, Den of Geek uh, really does some good reviews, and it's become my go-to for reviewing a particular episode. So yesterday's episode of Clarice uh, was episode 8 of season 1. The name of the episode was called Add a Bead, Mirrors the Procedural with the Psychological. Clarice, played by Rebecca Breeds, lets her emotions find a safe landing place as her VICAP unit investigates the suicide of a medical student who jumped to her death. Now, remember, Clarice takes place a year after Silence of the Lambs, so this show is set in the year 1993. VICAP is a, is a staple now uh, as part of the FBI, and it's the Violent Criminals Apprehension Program. That's what VICAP stands for. The opening segments of Clarice uh, episodes are very atmospheric and color the entire installment. The glass ball in the doctor's office reflects deep memories and Clarice's reflexivity responds to Dr. Renee Lee, played by Grace Lynn Kung, is the psychiatrist the agent chooses over all the doctors which were ordered by the agency. And it is because she speaks the same language. Uh, the work, the work, it's all about the work. Clarice just suffered post-traumatic stress in a job where trauma is a daily occurrence. Take a day off. The hypnotist is very effective. Up until this point, Clarice would jump down the throat of anyone who would so much as suggest to take a coffee break. After a few minutes of crystal blue persuasion, Clarice even offers to quit the job uh, just so she can do the work. Yesterday's episode was a therapeutic breakthrough for Clarice. She finally shows a vulnerable side and tells her therapist that I am willing to do the work it takes to get myself better. And, and if by the end of the time that the work is done, if you feel that I don't belong out there in the field, I will quit. That's a pretty big, bold statement. Agent Ardelia Mapp, who was also in the movie, played brilliantly by Devin Tyler on the show, is a walking contradiction. She enjoys collecting magazines where she's on the cover for her grandma, but reluctant to become the most visible member of an invisible workforce. And I love how, remember, this is the 90s, 
And here is an African-American woman trying to make a name for herself in the FBI. She's brilliant, talented, but the prejudice that is within the Bureau is not allowing her to rise up in the ranks. And I love how they make that a real big focal point on the show. Um, up until yesterday's episode, one of her colleagues was trying, it's been desperately trying to get her to join the coalition where other fellow African American in the FBI get together to, you know, support each other. And at the end of last night's episode, she succumbs and goes to a meeting. Uh, her character arc is brilliant, and uh, there's a lot more to see as the uh, series progresses. I don't think it's officially been renewed for season two, but I guarantee you there's going to be a season two. There's going to be a season three of this show. It is that good. Anyway, to continue, yet she throws down the article when she's going for the promotion like it is part of her resume. When all people are interested in is her DNA. Tyler makes it all seem like so much work even when she's getting presents from her grandmother. We feel more than an inconvenience when an agent who graduated with her cuddles up to make her third grade Sorry, uh, let me start over. When an agent who graduated with her cuddles up to make her third grade third girl on a totem pole, she grits her teeth and bears her weight. But she goes into the secret staff meeting with just as much perturbed reluctance. Tyler lets her character feel the squeeze of encroaching departmental intrusions more than Rebecca breathes. It's nice to see Clarice smile in a way which looks like she's actually appreciated enough to distinguish it from a wince. Her psychiatrist asks if she'd like to be known and seen rather than examined, and Clarice asks for a timeout. She's beginning to identify with many different aspects of the case beyond just the gore. She actually finds a chance to connect with an unsuspicious suspect and breathes allows the kind of smile which evokes a childhood crush. Clarice sees an easy place to land and the doctor points out how that might be the trauma talking. At least Agent Esquivel has a girlfriend, a medical examiner, who can do a quickie autopsies on the down low. This doesn't add to his character so much as it makes the secretive part of the procedural move faster. The procedural part of the show moves steadily. The Yugoslavian woman is in the United States on a foreign visa. She is the ideal idealist. When she jumps off the bridge, she lands a little too perfectly, but the blood is picturesque. And just like every other movie and uh, TV show in the Hannibal Lecter universe, which Clarice is very much a part of. It's all about the cinematography. We've discussed this before, and I know we have a few Hannibal fans here from the show Hannibal. Uh, then, of course, Silence of the Lambs, the movie Hannibal. The cinematography, especially in the TV shows, going back to Hannibal, and now with Clarice, it is, uh, I don't even know what the right word is. It's very unique. It's brilliantly done. And I love how CBS, with their Clarice, is sort of continuing the tradition that was started with Hannibal, which was on NBC. The team adds up the charges on calling cards, discusses the civil war, which is raging in Yugoslavia back in the 90s, and deciphers Hebrew codes. The Yugoslavian medical student was pregnant, and her fetus has had cranial abnormalities and was missing organs. Just like the babies in the clinical trials, 
All roads lead to Rome. Deputy Assistant Attorney General Paul Krendler, played by Michael Cudlitz, cat and mouse game with Joe Hudland, who is both his divorce lawyer and Clarice's Woodhaven attacker, is beginning to get interesting, but it makes him a less interesting character. Krendler has already forsworn booze because he was an alcoholic. He is an alcoholic. He's clean. His ex, soon-to-be ex-wife is a daily alcoholic, and he's trying to get custody of his kids to get, her away, to get them away from uh, their alcoholic mother, and he's facing an uphill battle. And he's got the most self-righteous TV offspring since Paige Jennings on The Americans or Walter Jr. on Breaking Bad. That's interesting. The cheeseburger drive through scene is just painful and annoying. The fight is a small screen cliche to add tension in those tiny spaces where there is none. Eat your effing cheeseburger and go back to the checkout. You're doing nothing to further the narrative. That's just the author, you know, putting in their two cents. Does Krendler also have to fight extortion? Let the top cop get dirty. Allow him to muddy up the investigation. The series can always bring him down later if you have to or promote him. But once he collects a DNA and joins the team, they, li- they lose an adversary that's bad for entertainment. It's good for Agent Clark, who, plays, who is played by Nick Shadow, the crusty old vet who's worked with Krendler for 20 years and can't make him out anymore. This ambiguity adds to the suspense while allowing Sandow to do what he does best, internalize confusion and personal contradiction. Ada B tightens the narrative as much as it brings the team together. And by the end of yesterday's episode, uh, Krendler has a secret meeting with just his team because right now uh, there are people very high up in the government who are trying to cover up this clinical trial scandal that is going on. People are being murdered, cover-ups, and Paul Krendler, uh, the only people he trusts, he trusts are his VICAP team, which includes Clary Starling. The case itself moves further from Silence of the Lambs' territory of serial killers to something far more monstrous. The implications of the conspiracy promise a suspenseful run, but the rabbit hole portion of the series seems to be over. So, there you have it. That was a very cryptic article. Uh on last night's Clarice. That's not exactly how I would have described it. But uh, unless you've been watching this show, that absolutely made no sense to you. So I apologize. Uh, But the bottom line here, you see the picture. That's Rebecca Breeds as Clarice. And that's Esquivel, the character of Esquivel, standing next to her. And this is the very end. This is the very end scene when Paul Krendler... Uh, comes clean to them that his divorce lawyer, Hundlin, is uh, extorting him. He Hundlin is a part of the conspiracy, and he wants the FBI's VICAP, uh, which is run by Krendler, Michael Cudlitz, to completely back off the investigation. Or he has set Cudlitz up to take the fall for a lot of things that Paul Krendler has not done. So he's extorting him. Uh, either go to jail for a you know, mis you know wrongdoings at the FBI, or pull your team off this investigation and stop investigating. So that's where they are right now. Uh, Khaleesi writes, "Oh, I have my eyes on that. Uh, I am keeping my eyes on that. I do any show that I love. I'll let you know as soon as I find out for season two. Uh, loved Mads as Hannibal. Colette writes, loved Breaking Bad, especially Mikey. Oh, yeah. I can't find Clarice. Which channel is it on, please? 
Colette writes, you're in the UK, Colette. Here in the United States, Clarice is on CBS. I am pretty sure it's available uh, around the world, most of the world. Uh, I don't know where you would find it on uh, in the UK. But here it's on CBS, and it's on every Thursday night at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., I believe. So anyway, moving on, uh, a trailer, and this was part of the news that we didn't get to yesterday. A trailer came out for A Quiet Place 2. So before we continue any further or read this, uh, I have not checked out this trailer yet. A Quiet Place is a huge Netflix hit. The sequel is coming out. So let's go ahead and check out this trailer for A Quiet Place 2. Prequel? Remember the premise of this. came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. This is a prequel. if I'm wrong, but A Quiet Place uh, was a Netflix original, and now it's coming out in theaters. That looks like a prequel to the first one, and that makes it even more interesting to see we get to find out how the aliens came in and when they started taking over and eliminated uh, humanity. As for anyone who is not familiar with a quiet place it's aliens have come to earth they've taken over earth and the way they kill you is strictly by sound so if you're going to navigate around them you have to be completely quiet and i mean absolutely silent any sound and they can pick it up from miles away and they come storming out of nowhere capture you and you're done you're dead so it's very creepy uh, Lindsay writes, A Quiet Place 2 trailer looks really good. Um, it does. It looks amazing. It really does. Want to welcome Carol Ass, who's joining us. Welcome, Carol. Uh, you were, we, we spoke earlier today. It's good to have you on the show. 509 Tuck has also joined us. So let's see what this article says. Plot. Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. That looks like a prequel to me. Forced to venture into the unknown, they quickly realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. Okay, so maybe it's them just venturing out further from that small area that we saw them in the original. Uh, the movie is directed by John Krasinski, so that's all the info we have so far. But it's good to finally have a trailer, and that makes it even more exciting. 
So let's see. Uh, Orphan. How many of you guys have seen the original Orphan? It's been it would, it's been out. It's been several years, but it, there is a prequel coming out to Orphan uh, called First Kill. Horror prequels are hardly a new phenomenon, but Orphan First Kill definitely stands out among a pack of one for one notable reason. The entire concept of Jean Colette Serra's 2009, yeah, it's been 12 years, original was predicated on a 12-year-old star, Isabel Furman, as Esther, a troubled young child adopted by a married couple mourning the loss of their unborn baby. After adopting to her new life, Esther soon starts displaying some sociopathic and outright homicidal tendencies that put her family in life-threatening danger before a major third act twist changes the entire way you look at the movie. In Orphan, Furman was asked to pass as a nine-year-old, so it was surprised to discover that the now 24-year-old was returning a decade later for another outing set before of the events of the original. Interesting. Utilizing some good old-fashioned makeup effects and camera trickery to create the illusion of a forced perspective, Orphan's first kill's first major task is to convince audience audiences that can buy into an adult masquerading as someone who hasn't reached double figures in age yet. That's... That's going to be something to see. How do you take a 24-year-old and make them look not even 10? I mean, I yeah, that, they've done it before with older actors, you know, in their 50s, putting them back in their 30s. But taking a 24-year-old and making them 9? Oh, boy. But anyone with the knowledge of the first film will be aware that it could actually add another meta layer to the proceedings. And there we have some screenshots of uh, Esther right here getting done for makeup. So the other important uh, the other important remit for first kill is to deliver a solid horror movie capable of scaring people out of their seats. And based on comments made by director by director William Brent Bell, who was just our guest last week, it certainly sounds as though he's accomplishing that goal. And Brent is an amazing director. He uh, he has a new movie coming out uh, called Separation. Uh, actually, came out uh, a couple of days ago, I believe. Uh, he was also the, the director of The Boy, uh, Brahms, and then The Boy 2, and a ton of other horror films. Uh, he goes on to say the movie has a very childlike quality in some ways, but it's also extremely violent at other times because she's a violent psychopath. The movie's turning out just awesome. Esther is this very romantic person who so much wants love and then when she doesn't get it, a different side of her comes out, and it's brutal. So the movie really plays both of these sides really well. So it has a really big heart for her, but it also has a real super dark side. Orphan First Kill tracks Esther as she escapes from an Estonian institution before murdering her way to America. It will be interesting to see if the prequel delivers now that everyone knows that the main character's big secret right right off from the top. And I guess that being that the original actress is coming back. I am really curious to see how they're going to make a 24-year-old uh, seem so young. Khaleesi writes, oh, Khaleesi, you haven't watched Orphan. It's a great film. Uh, you know, Along the lines, there was a movie that came out a long time ago called The Bad Seed. It's very similar to the story of this. 
just a young child who has um, uh, psychopathic tendencies and they're, they're killers. That's because they lack the ability of any kind of emotions. Uh, Lisa, going back to A Quiet Place, writes, it's both a prequel and a sequel. Flashbacks. Okay, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Now, the massive 1980 horror documentary series will continue with In Search of Darkness Part 3. Running over four hours long each, the horror documentaries In Search of Darkness, a journey into iconic 80s horror, and In Search of Darkness Part 2 are now streaming on Shudder. And we've learned from the team this week that In Search of Darkness Part 3 is coming soon. In Search of Darkness Part 3 is in development, and we want to know what you want to see, the team tweeted the other day. Tell us in the comments what movies and topics you want featured in Part 3, and let us know what you want, who you want to see interviewed. It sounds like new talent will indeed be brought into the fold for Part 3, which will explore even more 1980s horror gems, along with insights from prominent actors and creators. The documentary feature clips from 1980 classics, as well as underseen gems highlighting the practical effects and wild ideas that make the decade such a blast for horror fans and since we're on the topic of 1980s horror we have confirmed today that next tuesday russell todd is going to be our guest now russell todd is from friday the 13th part 2 if those for those of you who have seen friday the 13th part 2 great movie he was the one that got caught in that trap the rope trap and got flipped upside down and was dangling by his feet before jason comes along grabs him by the hair and slits his throat with a machete that's russell todd he is going to be our guest on tuesday and we're super excited to have him on to talk about the movie and the early days of the friday the 13th franchise when it was still very good. Um, Colette writes that I have to watch uh, a movie called To the Devil, A Daughter. Never heard of it, but I will definitely check it out. Uh, CC writes, I've seen In Search of Darkness, the first one. I really enjoyed it. They are really interesting. And if you guys are horror buffs and you want to see, you know, the 80s horror you got to watch these they're on shutter if you have a subscription they are each very long they're not kidding when they say each one is uh, approximately four hours long so you're obviously not going to be able to watch it in one sitting some of you might i don't know but it's definitely worth checking out to get a good uh history lesson of what horror was like back in the 80s and you got to remember back in the 80s when it comes to horror, the biggest leading subgenre in horror were slasher flicks. Uh, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. They were the dominant figures on the horror stage back then. So definitely, definitely worth watching. Uh, and here's another blast from the past. How many of you guys have seen the original Faces of Death? This is also going back to the 80s, I believe. Uh, I remember when Faces of Death came out. As you can see in this poster, it was banned in 46 countries. It was a very graphic uh, series of clips, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, Very, very twisted. I remember one in particular where they had a monkey uh, put in this like table vice where only the monkey's head was exposed and you had two men on either side of the table bashing the head in of this monkey. 
either i mean regardless it was very graphic but it's i guess it's getting redone 21st century style uh isa mezzi and daniel uh goldhaber the team behind the 2008 psychological thriller cam will write and direct a take 1978 of the faux documentary it was sort of delivered as this was a real documentary but it was fake it was fake so if you do want to go back and watch faces of death you know like people back then were fooled believing it was real which i'm sure led to why it was banned in so many countries none of it is real faces of death a foul documentary that became a grisly cult hit in the vhs era is getting a 21st century makeover legendary entertainment currently basking in the box office glow of hit godzilla vs kong has picked up the rights to the title with the goal of launching a new horror franchise. Isa Mezzi and Daniel Goldhaber, the team behind the psychological thriller Cam, will write and direct, respectively. Producing will be Susan Monford and Don Murphy of Angry Films, who are behind Legendary's fast-track, multi-platform Buck Rogers reboot. I did not know they were remaking, they were rebooting Buck Rogers. <laughs> anyway, uh, Corey Kaplan will co-produce while Rick Banatar of BT Productions will executive produce. John Burrard, the producer of the original movies, will also work on the new iteration. So they are bringing some of the original production team, I guess, to advise on how to you know, remake this for the 21st century. The original movie was released in 1978 and had the conceit of a pathologist exploring gruesome ways to die via footage purportedly culled from around the world. In reality, most of the death scenes were staged. But no matter, the movie had its producer's desired effect. Outrage, revulsion, banning, although not in 52 countries, as hyped by the filmmakers, and of course a money-making hit that spawned sequels and imitators. It was written and directed by Jan John Allen Schwartz, who used multiple pseudonyms for several crew jobs on the flick. The first movie was released theatrically, but it was really in the 1980s when it hit uh, home video that its cult status spread. In copies that were serendipitously uh, rented, passed around and worn down from being rewatched, MPI, an Illinois based company, has kept original films in circulation for the past 30 years. The new plot revolves around a female moderator of a YouTube-like website whose job is to weed out offensive and violent content and who herself is recovering from serious trauma, who stumbles across a group that is recreating the murders of the original film. But in the story, primed for the digital age of online misinformation, the question is, are the murders real or fake? Mazzy has some experience with the seedier side of the internet. She was previously a cam girl, an experience she chronicled in her memoir, which served as fodder for Cam, a Blumhouse production that was released on Netflix. Mazzy and Goldhaber also worked on Quibi horror anthology, 50 States of Fright. While Legendary has been taking steps into horror, it has a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre titled Texas Chainsaw Begins in Post. Sources say the company hopes to make something more in the psychological horror field than in the slasher mold. The filmmakers are rep by CAA and all that other good stuff. So... Sounds like an interesting twist. I remember this movie. I remember all the fanfare it was getting back in the 80s. Uh, 
I was too young to remember its theatrical release when it came out in 78, but I definitely was old enough to remember the uh, controversy surrounding Faces of Death when it was available on VHS. So, uh, let's see, just checking on the time. We're 40 minutes in, of course, already. Uh, this, I mean, anthologies are just sprouting up left and right. And we have covered this before on just how popular horror anthologies are at the present moment. Uh, Westworld creator, creators have a wild new horror show heading to streaming. While HBO's dystopian drama Westworld is getting ready for season four, creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are teaming up once again for a new adventure, this time for Amazon. The Westworld creators using their Kilter Films Company are teaming up with Craig McNeil and Clay Chapman, the duo behind South by Southwest horror film The Boy, to develop a horror series at Amazon. Deadline exclusively reported, Unknown is a psychological horror anthology series that plunges into the corners of the American landscape, probing the intersection of folklore and our blood history of true crime. Unknown's first season is set to center around an estranged brother and sister who return to the Texas killing fields, only to encounter a dark spirit that inhabits the region from their childhood. The series comes just a couple of years after Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy struck an overall deal with Amazon Studios back in 2019. The duo previously worked on the sci-fi techno-thriller drama series The Peripheral, also for Amazon. Despite Westworld's fourth season, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are keeping busy with other projects. Just last year, it was announced that they were developing a new drama called Sphere, along with Westworld's Denise, the, uh, sorry, partnering with Susan and Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, team, Downey Production, a company, and Warner Brothers. TV to executive produce the series. The show is based on the 1987 novel of the same name by Westworld film scribe and director Michael Crichton. So that sounds interesting. Um, don't know if it's going to be an episodic anthology where each episode is different or it's going to take the approach of American Horror Story where every season is just a different story. Uh, let's see, want to welcome Afsadi, who's joined us on Instagram. Alsadi is saying hello. Uh, Nia is from Brazil on Instagram. Welcome, Nia. Uh, want to welcome all of our friends who are joining us all around the world. We have people from India, Brazil. Uh, welcome all you guys on Instagram. CC Weezy on YouTube writes, I can't believe they'll let a kid rent that from the video store, but that, but they did. I did. You rent, so you rented Faces of Death from the video store? Uh, I don't remember when I actually watched it. For me, my memory, because it was when I was still very young, I just really remember the controversy. I've I've watched the films and its subsequent sequels. I just don't know when. For me, what really stands out in my mind about Faces of Death was all the controversy that surrounded it. There was real outrage. So, uh, let's see. Saw, the horror franchise's apprentices ranked ahead of Spiral. Eh, let's just do it real quick. Jill Tuck which, of course, was Jigsaw's wife, John's wife. Uh, Dr. Logan Nelson. Uh, number three, Amanda Young. Uh, my favorite, of course, was uh, Costas Mandalore. You know, he was Detective... Uh, no, then we have Detective Mark Hoffman. Uh, that was Costas Mandalore's character. And number one, Carrie Elways. You know, no, I would I would rank uh, 
you know, the detective Mark Hoffman as Jigsaw's number one apprentice. He felt threatened when Jigsaw started bringing in other apprentices to help him do his work. And he did not handle that so well, if you guys remember in the movies. But for me, I think he was the most interesting apprentice of all of Jigsaw's apprentices. Uh, Colette writes, it must have been banned here. They're very uh, quick here to do that. Surprise, it didn't ban Bambi in the UK. Uh, Lindsay Sparks has never seen Faces of Death. I mean, it's... I'm not recommending it. I'm not not recommending it. But it is pretty disturbing. I'm just going to leave that and let you guys decide if you want to try to find it. I don't... I really don't believe it's streaming anywhere. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but I think you're really going to have to find an old copy somewhere, whether it's on DVD, if it's been converted to DVD. But it's out there. If you look hard enough, you will find it. But I don't think any streaming service has picked it up. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure about that. 10 Best Workplace Horror Movies Ranked by IMDb. Let's just quickly go by uh, this one. The Balco Experiment. I don't know how many of you have heard of this movie, but this was a great movie. Uh, I'm not going to summarize it. It'll take way too long to try to explain this. But The Balco Experiment. Number 9, Mayhem, 2017. That's Stephen Yuan right there. Glenn from The Walking Dead. Number eight, Pontypool, 2008. Number seven, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I, I don't know how really that fits into this category. Number six, Cabin in the Woods. That's another cult classic right there, 2012. Day of the Dead. Now, how is Day of the Dead a workplace... Uh, they put this in the workplace... So, Horror, I, I don't see that. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go on. Number four, The Lighthouse, 2019. The Thing, 1982. Okay. Alien, 1979. And number one, The Shining. Yeah, I guess if you want to call it a job, they did have a job to keep a, an eye out on the Overlook Hotel uh, during its off-season. So... It's It's got the highest rating, obviously. It was a great movie, The Shining was. Uh, Gian556 on YouTube wants to know, does Midsommar count? Count for what? Workplace uh, horror movies? Midsommar is in a category all of, all of its own. That's all. I mean, we've, we've talked about it a lot recently. Uh, Let's see if we can do one more article before we switch to our topic. Fried Berry Review, Alien, Scuzzy, Bloody Horror, Odyssey, and Cape Town. Uh, let's just check out this trailer. Where the hell have you been, Barry? You know what I like about you, Barry? You don't say much. You're a good listener. You're absolutely fucking right, you're not father. You're a useless piece of shit. So what are you doing here, man? How did they catch you? Yeah! You did something bad. Kill someone. What my husband are you?
fried berry. I, I don't know what to make of that. I really don't. Uh, I'll leave that up to your guys' opinion. <laughs> anyway, uh, in the time that we have left, today we're going to talk about cool horror weapons that we have seen on horror television as well as movies. And of course, come on, Freddy Krueger. What made Freddy Krueger so famous was his weapon of choice, and that is the glove hand of knives. That is uh, Freddy Krueger's signature. Of course, Nightmare on, Elm, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Weapon of Nightmares. Uh, by the time Nightmare was released, Michael Myers had his knife. Leatherface, of course, had his chainsaw. Jason, his signature machete. None of them were as creative and as imaginative as Freddy's razor-sharp glove. The original concept for the glove called for fishing knives to be welded to the fingers, though in Freddy's Dead, it's shown that he had numerous versions of the glove, with the razor fingers probably being his favorite. The glove have, uh, has appeared in numerous films outside of the Nightmare series, most notably in The Evil Dead 2 as an Easter egg and as a tease in Jason Goes to Hell, uh, as we all know, there was a Jason versus Freddy movies. Now, this is not a weapon like Freddy's knives, but Jigsaw's traps in the Saw series. Uh, you can almost call them a work of very demented art. The bear trap has become an iconic symbol of the series, even though it is one of the traps that was escaped from. The creativeness of the traps and the danger from them have become a staple of the franchise with some engineering marvels in their function. The biggest question concerning the traps and how they're made is how anyone could afford to make them all and how they could build them under the radar. It's just one of those suspensions of disbeliefs that you have to do when you're watching anything really. Uh, not only horror, uh, but John, who was Jigsaw in the horror um, franchise, he was a very intelligent man. He was more than, I don't think it's ever specified, but this guy was obviously some kind of engineer before he lost it all and started laying out his vengeance for people to start appreciating life the way they should be and his very twisted way he went about it. But he was a very, he was a genius. He was just a genius and he knew how to rig up all these elaborate traps and put people and drop them in these mazes uh, just to have them learn a lesson. Now the invisibility suit and the invisible man, uh, the remake of Invisible Man is a great, great movie. The original, which is way long ago, was good as well. But I really loved uh, the remake of Invisible Man. I went, I sat down to watch The Invisible Man, not, you know, really psyched about it or not, not looking forward to it. But by the time the movie was even just 10 minutes into it, I was completely hooked. And by the end of the movie, you just realize how, like, how great of a movie you just watched. And the invisibility suit, how they brought that into the 21st century. You have this husband who is a control freak. He is an abusive husband, uh, narcissist, sociopath but a genius, and he invents this suit that reflects lights, reflects light, and makes anybody who puts on the suit seem invisible. I mean, he's a genius. Uh, now we go to Evil Dead 2. Uh, Ash's chainsaw hand uh, from, of course, Army of Darkness uh, <laughs> is a very limited weapon because of its detachment from a constant fuel source. If we really want to get deep into, uh, you know, how far we want to push reality aside, especially when it comes to the Evil Dead series. Uh, McReady's flamethrower 
in the thing. Now, I think all of us here have watched the original thing. Think of what kind of shit they would have been in more than what we actually saw if they did not have that damn flamethrower with them. Uh, the movie would have been over in five minutes if they did not have that flamethrower. Uh, Khaleesi writes, Invisible Man was freaking awesome. Colette writes, I think a mind player is the worst weapon. Uh, okay. Uh, Lindsay writes, what about the axe in The Shining? That's iconic as well. When Jack Nicholson was hunting his family at the end of the movie with the axe. And then, of course, breaking through that door and the infamous line of here's Johnny. Now, how about the Predators? The Predator had some really kick-ass weapons, which is what you would expect from a Predator from another planet. Not only did he have uh, cloaking, uh, he had an arsenal of weapons. Uh, the gauntlet blades housed on the forearm of a gauntlet. The blades are an excellent stealth weapon, especially because that they can be shot out as a projectile or simply extract. Because the blades are able to turn invisible along with the rest of the Predator, making it that much more of a dangerous weapon. It is often a favorite weapon, the favorite weapon of the Predator, aside from the uh, shoulder plasma cannon, which is probably what they use the most. Uh, then we have, let's go to, you know, Seth Gecko's Jackhammer Steak from Dust Till Dawn, uh, John Constantine's The Holy Shotgun, uh, I'm sure we have some Constantine fans out there. Uh, Ripley's exosuit and aliens. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, it's an industrial tool that would make uh, <laughs> anybody who's, you know, pooped their pants. Protected to a limited degree from a lot of injury. It uses an industrial tool, gives it its odd benefits in terms of fighting. Most particularly is it the heavy weight of the machine. It's not meant as a weapon. It's used as a way for them to move large cargo. And Ripley, at the end of the movie, when the queen alien infiltrates the mothership, it's the only weapon she really has to fight the queen alien. Uh, of course, Lucille, Negan's infamous Walking Dead baseball bat who got a very anticlimactic ending in the uh, last episode of the bonus episodes of The Walking Dead. Uh, the best of the six, here's Negan, where we finally got to see the real Lucille as uh, Negan was reliving the memory of his deceased wife and what they've been through. And at the end of the episode, he simply wraps the bat up in a cloth and he burns it, you know, uh, symbolically putting an end, saying goodbye to his dead wife. And like I said, symbolically putting an end to the person he became after she passed away. So, of course, then we have like, you know, we talked about Leatherface, the chainsaw. Michael Myers has a very distinctive knife. It's not... Michael Myers' weapons is his weapon choice is not just any old regular kitchen knife. It's the big ass butcher's knife uh, that has become iconic with Michael Myers. Anyway, guys, we are really out of time. We have less than 20 seconds. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I'll be back on the air with you guys on Monday. Visit us on the web. Be a part of our live audience on any one of our social streaming networks been an honor as always i'll be with you guys again monday and until monday stay safe have a great weekend and remember to always always stay walking till monday